And this is Maine Currents, independent local news, views, and culture. I'm Amy Brown. Last weekend, the Belfast Creative Coalition and Restorative Artworks held the first of what they hope will become an annual Arts in Action Conference at the University of Maine Hutchinson Center. The focus was on, quote, summoning the power of the arts to address our opioid epidemic, end quote. Today on Main Currents, we have the keynote presentation by Vijay Gupta, founder of Street Symphony, a Los Angeles-based nonprofit organization serving prisoners and people on Skid Row. Gupta answers the question, what does art got to do? What's art got to do with it? That's how they phrased it. He was introduced by Craig Watson. So, uh, somebody told me uh, during intermission that they overheard a, somebody sitting next to them leaning over and said, well, who's that guy? And they're referring to me. So, uh, I guess I should tell you just a little bit because it leads into the story about VJ. So, um, I'm delighted to say that my wife and I are new Belfastians. We moved here a little over a year and a half ago. Yeah. And um, we moved here from California, where we met Vijay several years ago. Um, and we met him on Skid Row in Los Angeles. Uh, I had known of Vijay's work. I was running uh, the state agency for California that provides grants to all most of the nonprofit arts groups in California, the California Arts Council. And Vijay, um, Vijay came to our attention as somebody doing amazing work um, in the community of Skid Row in downtown Los Angeles. And Vijay invited my wife, Carolyn, and I to go downtown. And it was something like he said to us, uh, Craig, uh, this is our 250th free concert uh, that we've given here in the center of Los Angeles, either in Skid Row or in the jails that are several of them in downtown Los Angeles. And we sat in the audience at the back as members of the homeless community who live on the streets of LA uh, filtered into the room for one of his concerts. And without much introduction, um, the group that he had assembled started to play. And what we noticed was that as they played, everybody started to get quiet, but not all of them, because some of them were uh, transported. Some of the folks in the room were transported, and you could see them, the wheels turning. And indeed, what Vijay offered that day to us was the opportunity to just observe and just watch this thing unfold very naturally. And what was so powerful uh, that day uh, that we sat with him and listened to him communicate was it was clear to us that Vijay wasn't about arriving and, and giving something. He was very much in the moment and he was receiving tremendous um, feedback and, and give back from that moment. And the way he did that was he, he asked questions after each piece that they played. And the voices of the people in the room were so powerful. A voice came from the back of the room, a, a woman who, from my observation, seemed physically um, in distress and 
perhaps mentally in distress, but her, her, her response to VJ's question, how did this make you feel, was to tell VJ at that moment and to tell the room that it reminded her of her childhood and a lullaby that her mom used to sing to her. And it was clear that whatever her day was before she came and what her day would be after that, that at that moment, Vijay and she and that room um, understood that there was a, a communication that only could happen in that moment, in that way. And for me, it was a light bulb that helped answer this question that we've been asking you to consider when you read, saw the brochure, and it said, what has art got to do with it, right? What, what does art have to do with it? And part of what we've seen tonight is to help answer that question, uh, what's art got to do with it? And I believe, and I believe it's a room full of you, you're all here because somehow you understand that or want to understand how art can be this powerful tool, tool in the best sense of the word. But anyway, Vijay, uh, who we consider a dear, dear friend, um, and when Lorraine Brown and I met, um, not long after we had moved here, she was describing her vision and this idea for this conference. And she said, you know, Craig, we're, we're looking for a keynote, you know, do you, do you know anybody? I said, yeah, I know somebody. Yeah. Yeah. But I didn't know that we could get Vijay to come and join us because, you know, he's, he's a pretty big deal, right? Yeah. He's a pretty big deal. <laughs> so anyway, without further ado, I'd love you to introduce you to my friend Vijay Gupta. Thank you. Good evening. I will uh, sincerely hope to have deserved that applause when I finish this evening. Um, I started off this morning pretty remarkably. I started off with uh, a couple of individuals who you had the great privilege of hearing perform earlier today. Uh, Bronson and Steve and Jamie. Give it up for those incredible drummers. <clears throat> See, now you're able to receive applause. Look at that, you guys. I started the morning uh, not knowing that I would have met so many new brothers. Uh, we've spent the afternoon and the day running into each other across your beautiful, beautiful city and fist pumping and being bros with each other. But when I, when I met them this morning, I got the typical, I guess, Mainer male machismo monosyllabic answers from them when I asked them, you know, who are you? I went down the road, you know, Steve, Jamie, Paul, you know, they just said their names. I said, okay, let's try that again. And we went around the circle one more time and I asked, what was the highlight of your week? And already I had to fight back tears because gentleman after gentleman spoke about how the highlight of their week was reconnecting with their families, was holding their children. And then a young man named Dalton said that he heard his baby's heartbeat for the first time yesterday. And so when I heard Dalton say that, 
I thought of this piece of music. And as we, as we sort of went around the circle, I started to feel my heart soften. I started to see these men share not only their most powerful 
transformative joys, but also their sorrows and the beginnings of trust. And we had conversations about what it was like to hear a violin for the first time. We had conversations about what it was to embrace our darkness as much as it was to embrace our light, just the way that Leonard Cohen says that our broken places are where the light shines through. I also had another uh, thought earlier today. Craig and Carolyn and I went out for lunch um, at a place called Nautilus. Was that where we went for Nautilus? Props for Nautilus. Um, and we walked past a boat called the Kuan Yin. And I had a thought that Kuan Yin is the Buddhist goddess of mercy and compassion and unconditional love. And it made me think of this parable uh, from the Buddhist tradition of a young woman named Kisa Gotami. And Kisa means thin. And so she was this frail kind of wisp of a girl. And she was poor, and she married a rich, into a rich family. And as often happens in certain Asian cultures, that a woman's uh, uh, value is only sort of achieved when she gives birth to a son. And so after many, many attempts to have a child, Kisa Gotami gave birth to a beautiful, beautiful baby boy. And as the boy grew up and started to walk, the boy tragically died one day. And Kisa Gotami was overcome with grief. And so she held the corpse of her little baby boy. And she went from teacher to teacher to say, can you help? I need medicine. I need to bring my child back to life. She couldn't accept the fact that her child was dead. And then a teacher said, you need to go to the Shakyamuni. You have to go to the Buddha. And you have to ask the Buddha for medicine. And so Kisa Gotami went to the wise Buddha. And all the Buddha said is, it is good that you have come for medicine. It is good you have come. I want you to go from home to home in this neighborhood. And I want you to bring me back one mustard seed, one white mustard seed from every household where death has not touched that home. Where death has not touched that home. And so she went from door to door with her little baby boy. And she started to learn about the pain and grief that every single household carried. And when she came back to the Buddha, the Buddha said, do you have the mustard seed? And she said, no. I see that life is precious and that death is everywhere. But in that profound understanding, she was able to let go of carrying the pain of the loss of her son. And as we hear the words said again and again and again so beautifully that connection is the opposite of addiction, that we are all carrying around pain, that we are all carrying around a pain that we cannot let go. And it is only in connecting with each other it is only in seeing each other and hearing each other's stories that we can begin to let go of what we no longer need to carry. I speak for and represent a community of people who happen to be my greatest teachers. I don't speak before you as an expert on addiction or on homelessness or on reentry, but rather as a student of a community. And I am the student of a community in Los Angeles called Skid Row. Skid Row is the epicenter of the crisis 
of unhoused homelessness anywhere in America today. On any given night across Los Angeles County, upwards of 60,000 individuals experience chronic homelessness. The epicenter of this crisis is focused in the geological center of downtown Los Angeles in a 50 square block neighborhood called Skid Row, which is walking distance from the famous Walt Disney Concert Hall, from the Broad Museum, from some of the greatest shops and restaurants and galleries in America today. And I started going to Skid Row because I met a man named Nathaniel Anthony Ayers. He was the subject of a book and a movie called The Soloist, which many of you may know in this room. And uh, around the time that I joined the Los Angeles Philharmonic Orchestra, the LA Times columnist Steve Lopez, who was writing about Nathaniel, invited me to a birthday party for Nathaniel, which we were having in a bowling alley in Glendale, except we weren't having it on Nathaniel's birthday, we were having it on Beethoven's birthday, because Nathaniel would rather celebrate Beethoven's birthday than his own birthday. And the backstory on that is because Nathaniel was one of the first black men to ever go to the famed Juilliard School in Manhattan. And in his junior year, Nathaniel started to see things in the room that other folks didn't see. He started to become paranoid, and he was diagnosed with paranoid schizophrenia. And he was treated against his will with shock therapy and Thorazine and handcuffs. And his family said when he left Bellevue Hospital, Nathaniel was a zombie. He was unrecognizable. And Nathaniel wandered across the United States, and he ended up living in Skid Row. In fact, he ended up living in the Second Street Tunnel, just right down the hill from Walt Disney Concert Hall. And when Steve has found Nathaniel playing on a two-string violin in Pershing Square, one of the parks in downtown LA, he started to tell his story. And musician colleagues from across the country started to write and call, including Nathaniel's family, saying that we thought he was gone. We remember this incredible talent, but we had never realized that he was still around. And so I was invited to become Nathaniel's friend. And I started giving him violin lessons. And I remember there were times when I would feel extreme guilt or shame because I would be teaching Nathaniel at the fancy practice rooms at Walt Disney Concert Hall, but then I'd be driving through downtown LA after having a beautiful sushi lunch or something, and I would see Nathaniel pushing his shopping cart. And I could no longer look at any unhoused person in Los Angeles without wondering if that was Nathaniel, without wondering what the story of that person was. And so I started to visit Nathaniel where he was, where he was living in Skid Row. And I remember that Steve Lopez got Nathaniel and a few friends together to celebrate my 22nd birthday in Skid Row. And so Nathaniel played happy birthday for me, and Steve brought a huge cake. But Steve has a kind of sick sense of humor, so he got those candles that keep lighting up those self-lighting candles. And I was already self-conscious as a fat kid who loves cake about having a giant cake for myself in Skid Row. And so I'm bending down. And I'm blowing out these candles over and over again. And I'm going lower, and I'm getting frustrated. And I'm blowing out the candles. And then I, make, I lift my eyes, and I make eye contact on the other side of this rusting metal fence, on the other side of this courtyard littered with broken crack pipes and needles, with a man staring out at me from inside a tent with gaunt eyes and this hollow expression, and a kind of soul hunger on his face. And I felt like I had been literally punched in the gut. This wasn't something that I could just donate a cake to. 
This feeling wasn't something that I could pour money into, or that I could pour my used clothes into, or that I could pour a turkey into on Thanksgiving. This required an answer of my soul. And the only way I knew how to answer the void of Skid Row was through music. And so I started to reach out to clinicians, to clinics, shelters, social workers, and I would kind of sort of lie to my colleagues in the LA Phil and bribe them with sandwiches and beer, because you can get a musician to do anything for free if you feed them. Um, and I would take them down to the clinic or the shelter in Skid Row, and we would play what I now like to call programs of drive-by Beethoven, where we would put together two movements of a Beethoven string quartet and a couple of Christmas carols and wipe our hands clean of having done our good work for the year, except our audiences would put their hands in the air and throwing classical music decorum of where you fall asleep during concerts in concert halls uh, to the winds, and they would demand, they would demand to know the answers to questions. Who were we? What was that music? What were we playing? And as Craig said, there were times where ladies would, would lift their hands and say, you know, I remember the time when my mother tucked me into bed, but you know, in that, in that really, that loud, violent music, I hear my parents fighting with each other. And we would start to hear these individuals place themselves in the stories of the music. That word got cut off there. That obviously last word was music. You're listening to Maine Currents on WERUFM. And the speaker is Vijay Gupta, the keynote speaker at last weekend's Arts and Action Conference, sponsored by the Belfast Creative Coalition and Restorative Artworks, also known as RAW. Gupta is the founder of Street Symphony, based in Los Angeles. And we started to meet more musicians. We started to meet more people like Nathaniel. And we're going to queue up our first video of this evening. We met a man named Benjamin Shirley. And Ben actually was a bass player in the death metal band UPO. And as a professional musician, he started to live the life. And um, well, I'll let the video tell the rest of the story. Today, we got the block party for three seconds. Wrong video, but it will make sense. This is really for the community and by the community, and it should just be a jam, like a celebration. The lineup today is a mixture of community ensembles that are from Skid Row and perform in the Skid Row community, as well as many professional musicians from the LA area. We will have a lineup of six different acts, as well as a meal service, and we're expecting around 2,000 individual uh, participants. This will be my first time playing on the street with Street Symphony, which I'm most excited about. I think that is the most authentic act of engagement, saying, like, we're coming to where you are. We don't expect you to come to where we are. I feel that it's needed to shine the light on the darknesses down here. So I can rise again. There's a shock factor to just witnessing and absorbing the physical trauma of what's happening on the streets. I see a lot of people in their addiction. My heart goes out to them because I was there. I come from a, a history of homelessness for over 30-some years, drug addiction for like 25 years. What I did for my addiction was the drum. I'm going to make it. Yeah, I'm going to make it. I made a mantra, and I made it. And I'd just like to share some of the stuff that I've done. 
Music is a good way to express emotions. It can be as abstracted as you want to, or you can be completely open and completely vulnerable, and that's, and that's great too. We will never fully back the major reform that is necessary if we don't have a vested interest in the community. The best way we can do that is by creating authentic relationships, which is what we're here to do. When we get together, we share the love through everything we got. happens in listening to each other, hearing the music that we each produce, and then hearing how they combine together. I come in completely open. I've never rehearsed with them. I have no idea what we're playing. I literally bring a drum and use my ears to, to tell me what to say. dance, the rhythm, the drumming, it's all part of bringing people together. We're humans trying to connect with other humans, and so when we're able to co-create this in a, you know, singular moment that is fleeting in time, that's what makes what we do special. The barriers are coming down, you know? They are coming down. Change really is in this one-on-one -on -one relationship and just showing up to listen and to share and to celebrate. Excellence down here, their brilliance down here, and there's love down here. So I'm sorry, I skipped over that video. That's, that's entirely my fault. Um, what you've just seen here was a project of Street Symphony called The Block Party. It was our very first time having that project earlier this year. And you get a sense of the Skid Row community in this video. And I say that word community with purpose. Um, when we see individuals in their addiction, we describe them by the fact that they're in the condition of their addiction. When we see people who are experiencing homelessness or who are experiencing incarceration, we often, we often call them the homeless or the incarcerated. So we define people by the temporary condition, by the temporary label. And what the Skid Row community corrects us in, in our understanding, is that this is a community that these are individuals who are actually experiencing the journey of recovery. And so the reframing for us is not to look at a, a community like Skid Row as a place of urban blight to be erased, but rather as a recovery zone. We have musicians flying, we have, excuse me, we have individuals who fly in from all over the country to come to get clean in Skid Row because there is an overwhelming number of agencies like the Midnight Mission, like the Weingart Center, like the Union Rescue Mission, these renowned agencies that have connections with Department of Social Services and Department of Mental Health to actually bring the resources to the table. But now, bringing our conversation full circle back, we're going to queue up the next video, which is, um, I promise, uh, the video of Benjamin Shirley. Last week we did it at a really slow tempo and I was plotting. It's almost like just a bouncy kind of just heavy sounding. 
Music has been my saving grace for my whole life. Near the end of my addiction, it saved me from prison. Um, Lewis, I think we're ready to take. I'm at the Cavalry First Baptist Church recording my piece for Shastra School of Indian Music. This is Ben Shirley, sections A and B. I started working with Rena through the Street Symphony when Vijay Gupta asked me to be composer fellow. She's walked me off the ledge, giving me encouragement. She'll have to go through Deka Lubani, and then I'm going to start cueing in the string players after that. I've <laughs> been given a great opportunity, and I want to work hard on this new life. I was the guy that wanted to play rock music, did that. I want to get in a signed band, did that. I'm playing in front of a stadium full of people that knew the songs. Here's your magazine covers. Here's all that crap that I thought I wanted. I got it, and I just hated myself even more. So I drank four bottles of vodka a day. I had a $360 heroin habit a day. I took countless pills cocaine, and I was an absolute animal. I had some people in recovery pull me out of the house going, we're not gonna walk in one day after you haven't answered the phone and find you dead on the floor. Take me down to Skid Row, drop me off at the mission. It took me a good nine days to quit shaking and throwing up, and another six months to quit hallucinating. I remember saying, I'm, I'm done, and it felt different. Slowly but surely, baby steps, inches, things got better, and I bought into the recovery. Play it nice and soft like you do, but the rest of the piece kind of make it bitey sounding or aggressive. You're groovy on that. I just, uh, I heard, maybe just bump up dynamics. Ben is such a special person to have as our first composition fellow because he is both a professional musician and a member of the Skid Row community. In the course of over 300 events in clinics and shelters and county jails, we've met thousands of people who have amazing stories and who deserve a platform to tell that story. Hey guys, my name is Benjamin Shirley. I'm a composer fellow in the Street Symphony. As a resident of the Midnight Mission for 26 months, I wrote this piece, Bassoon and Voice. This is my first um, performance, and I'm glad it's here. When we have access to that creative and expressive possibility, we become advocates for ourselves. And I've got my love for music back, and I've got this wonder and excitement. I absolutely want to keep this thing going and be involved with Street Symphony for as long as it goes. So since that video in 2017, Ben became our co-composer in residence, and earlier this year we named him our first full-time director of community engagement at Street Symphony. And as I think about Ben's story, I think about the work of the incredible researcher and Dr. Gabor Mate, who is an expert uh, in the issues of addiction. And the way that Gabor Mate talks about addiction is that he says that all addiction is rooted in trauma, that all addiction comes from wanting to numb, wanting to heal from the pain that we all carry around. 
and that that doesn't necessarily have to be a substance, that we can numb ourselves through an addiction to social media. We numb ourselves, as I have certainly in the past, with an addiction to food. And that this trauma that we experience might be a childhood trauma that is a trauma of a very young person. It might not necessarily be something overtly awful that happened to us, although it certainly can be. And so when I look at someone like Ben, who teaches me so much about recovery, for him, music is the conduit to address that deeper wound, that deeper pain. Ben started to write a piece of music, which you're going to hear in the next video, called We Need Darkness to See the Stars. And music became Ben's way of actually metabolizing and holding and looking at his wound and his darkness and his trauma. And the way that we created the text, the libretto for this piece of music, is we started having writing workshops with members of a Skid Row community choir called the Urban Voices Project. And we developed this text over months and months of dialogue, and we presented it at our third annual Messiah Project. Now, just a word on the Messiah Project. Many of you may know Handel's Messiah as the most gloriously overperformed piece of classical music in existence. <laughs> but what you may not know is that the Messiah was first written at a very fragile and broken time in Handel's life. Handel was a German immigrant living in London writing Italian opera. Don't think about that too much. Um, but in the 1740s, there was a major political shift uh, in, in London, and Handel couldn't catch a break. Uh, no one would present his music. He was persona non grata, and he was going broke. Uh, at the same time, he had had a stroke. He was going blind, and then he received this text of this glorious piece of music, and he wrote in a frenzy. But nobody in London wanted to host a performance of his. So he went to Dublin, and the performance in Dublin was so successful that Handel not only raised enough money to pay off his own debts, he decided to pay off the debts of 142 men in debtor's prison. And then when the concerts happened in London, they never happened in a concert hall or cathedral. They happened in an orphan's hospital, a foundling's hospital. So we had the idea of presenting Handel's Messiah in the most obvious place, which is in the gymnasium of the Midnight Mission in Skid Row. So this is our Messiah Project. In the center of one of the largest and most creative American cities, we have tens of thousands of people who live in tents, I'm angry that a place like Skid Row exists. People who are talented, resilient, who deserve to have their voices heard are silenced by structural inequality and systemic racism. And in my mind, the artist's role is to serve as a bridge. When you hear somebody singing or playing an instrument, it's coming from their soul. It's coming from their heart, and it's reaching out to others. Ladies and gentlemen, it is my absolute honor to welcome you to this third Messiah Project. We are presenting excerpts of Handel's beloved Messiah, 
alongside a series of pieces of music which tell the story of people who experience homelessness and poverty in Los Angeles today. Our goal is to share our stage with the Skid Row community. This is the first year of the launch of the Street Symphony Fellows program. And this year, Ben Shirley is our composer fellow. Ben is such a special person to have as our first composition fellow because he is both a professional musician and a member of the Skid Row community. We're going to premiere a brand new piece of Ben's that we have commissioned ourselves called We Need Darkness to See the Stars. came down here after drugs and alcohol and now it's come full circle and just overwhelming. I've got this wide open, endless music to study and listen to and explore. It's been my lifesaver. Hopefully the guys at the mission will look and say, if this idiot can do it, I can get my life to be better. We also have vocalist fellows who are performing this year, Brian Palmer and our mezzo-soprano, Christina Collier. The The piece that I'm singing is The People That Walked in Darkness. For me, this piece is like the phoenix rising. When I came here three years ago, I had a month clean from a heroin addiction. So today I celebrate the resilience of your ever-expanding souls. And I pray that you see the light inside you and give it permission to shine. Homelessness and drug addiction are just conditions. They're not really who we are. This is huge. Like, I've never done anything like this before. I am a Skid Row resident. Never in a million years did I think that I would be singing along with members of the LA Phil and the Master Chorale. He shall feed his flock like a shepherd. It makes me feel like I want to take everyone in my arms and just give them a big hug and let them know that, you know, everything's going to be all right. Today's a new day! Everyone on Skid Row came from somewhere. It's not right that there's human beings sleeping on the sidewalks. And I'm going to continue to use my voice to tell people about what's going on. It's up to us to cause that awareness shift from cynicism and complacency to empathy and community. If I can just touch one heart today, then mission accomplished.
You're listening to Main Currents on WERU-FM. This is a presentation by Vijay Gupta, the keynote speaker last weekend at the Arts and Action Conference, sponsored by the Belfast Creative Coalition and Restorative Artworks. Gupta is the founder of Street Symphony, based in Los Angeles. I celebrate the resilience of your ever-expanding souls, and I pray that you see the light within you and give it permission to shine. On September 19th, the Street Symphony family got the news that Brian Palmer had passed away. And he passed due to an accidental overdose. And I have been carrying Brian. I have been carrying Brian in my heart like Kisa Gotami. And it is being here with you that allows me to finally let him go. Because in, in L.A. County, there are hundreds and hundreds of people who pass away on the streets. And every year, there is a ceremony conducted by the L.A. County Chaplain's Office called the Burial of the Unclaimed, where the unclaimed remains of people who have passed in the condition of homelessness are laid to rest. And we don't know who they are. We don't know their stories. Oftentimes, we don't even know their names. But the truth is, we not only claimed Brian, Brian claimed us. And even though Brian was our success story and went on to land an amazing job doing construction in San Diego, he also found himself disconnected from his community. And so I think about what does success mean in this work? And so often we don't have that beautiful, redemptive story we can tie up in a bow. For us, success is connection. And connection even after someone has passed away. Connection that we ever knew that person at all. Connection that allowed us to see who they were and to smile together, to grieve together. I believe that we need the arts now more than ever as a public health intervention. I believe that we need the arts now more than ever as a mental health intervention because, because I feel that we ostracize and criminalize the most fragile and vulnerable members of our society because we have in some way ostracized and criminalized the most fragile and vulnerable parts of ourselves. <laughs> what does art have to do with it? Absolutely everything. Absolutely everything. Because when we make art, when we make art, we often are not making art from the shallow Hollywood glitz and glamour side of things. We're often making art from our brokenness. We're often making art from the places within us that hurt, that ache, that need to be let go. And so art for us is a, met is a metabolism of our soul. It is the way that we hold a mirror up to our society to gauge the health of culture. In Skid Row, we talk at Street, Sym at Street Symphony, we talk about moving from outreach, 
which is often a shallow unilateral experience into a place of mutuality, reciprocalness, and, 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 and engagement, truly. And through moving from outreach into engagement, we move into a place of exchange, where the audiences who we're making music for are front and center to not only the performance of the art, but actually the planning of the art itself. I didn't go to conservatory to learn how to play reggae. But in an act of cultural exchange and meeting people like Ray Lewis and meeting Nathaniel Ayers and meeting Benjamin Shirley, I have had to give up my own definitions of expertise to, in order to connect with my community, in order to connect with what matters most. And that brings up so many feelings of not being good enough, of not being worthy myself. And so this work is about our own healing. I quote the indigenous scholar Lila Watson who says, if you're here to help me, you're wasting your time. But if you're here because your liberation is bound up in mine, then let's work together. <laughs> I'll close with one last story. Um, at the end of that video, you saw, well, sort of, sorry, not the end, kind of close to the beginning, you saw a man wiping tears from his eyes, yes? So that was that gentleman's first night sleeping in the courtyard on the concrete at the Midnight Mission. And before our Messiah project, we go out to the street and we do street-level canvassing. And we invite individuals from the Skid Row community to come up to the Midnight Mission gym and to sit down and enjoy the music. And this man was having none of it. And he said to us in Spanish something soft that he thought we wouldn't understand about not wanting to hear that gringo BS. And so we still invited him to come up to the room. And he sat in the back, as you saw. But we didn't tell him that we begin our Messiah project with a 30-minute set from an all-women mariachi ensemble. And so the women started to sing a song called Guantanamera. It's a very famous song sung by the Sandpipers, and it means girl from Guantanamo. And this man stood up in the back of the room, put his fist in the air, and started to sing every single word. And as Jasmine and the mariacheras left the front of the gym, this man went up to them and kind of accosted them and said, how did you know to play my song? How did you know? I haven't heard that song for 30 years since I left Cuba. I never thought I'd come here to hear my music. Me viste. Me viste. You saw me. You saw me. So as we heal together, may we also see each other. Thank you. You're not off the hook that easy. We're going to sing, OK? Can we have the slide back up, please? Um, we're going to sing a piece of music um, written by a woman who you saw multiple times 
Um, yeah, that's right. The exits are sealed. No one's leaving. We're, 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 we're going to really lean into this connection thing. Um, uh, written by uh, a woman who you saw in the videos who all, also happens to be my love. Her name is Rina Esmail. And she wrote this piece with the Skid Row community. And it's called Take What You Need. So here's the deal. And I need you. I need you here. My liberation's bound up in yours. Um, we are going to speak these words together. And then I'm going to play the piece on my violin. And then we're all going to sing together. Deal? Take a moment. Take a breath. Take time. Take care. Take heart. Take hope. Take a step. Take a chance. Take courage. Take charge. Take a stand. Take pride. Take joy. Take pause. Take a moment. Take a breath. Take what you need. Take what you need. Take what you need. Take 
Take a step. Take a chance. Take courage. Take charge. Take a stand. Take pride. Joy. Take, joy. Take part. Take, Take a moment. Take a breath. Take what you need. Take what you need. Take what you need. Take what you need and leave the rest. Thank you so very much. Thank you. Time for Q&A. Thank you. So with, with the acknowledgement that it's been a long evening, I know that we wanted to save some time for Q&A. So if anyone would like to ask any questions uh, or has any, any comments, and if, if you also would like to, to leave the room, you can do that <laughs> as well. Um, but we have a couple of minutes. So if anyone has any questions, I'm happy to repeat them from the stage, and, and we can have some conversation. Yes. There are indeed other programs like this all over the country. There are programs like Access Music in Cleveland. There are programs right here in Bangor, you know, in, uh, for, for uh, programs like what the Bangor Symphony does in, in Acadia Hospital. Um, you know, a lot of orchestras are starting this kind of program as the community engagement initiatives, you know, either for the orchestras or through conservatories or universities and that kind of thing. So, the truth is, we've made the decision in Los Angeles to stay central to Los Angeles, but we're also very active in sharing this work with communities across the country. So. I met somebody, I think it was last night, and they said, uh, yeah, I was thinking about going to that thing, but I, I didn't really know what it was about. Mm. And I said, yeah, I know, I had the same feeling, and I'm pretty connected to some of the folks doing it. So. And then as things went on today and last night, one thing that kept striking me is that <clears throat> I think it's easier to kind of inhabit a space that feels like things are impossible, things are not going to move, maybe I can't move, maybe I can't grow, blah, 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 blah. But given the opportunity and the environment, <clears throat> a lot of people can jump a long way in a short amount of time or in an instant or in a workshop or whatever. It's just kind of, for me, it's, uh, it's encouraging. Uh, because it helps me realize that, you know, a lot of us in our are in a place where we would like to act or act more, and just having the environment, and sometimes that environment is just a community like Belfast, is much more likely to happen. Yes, please. Um, I was thinking about what someone said earlier about there was not a political contingency here. The politicians didn't show up. And yet I thought each and every one of us, I mean, we are who the politicians are. And it seems to me that 
it's difficult to prove tangible metrics on investing in the arts to solve the opioid crisis. However, politicians are responsive to their constituencies, and that's who we are. So if all, if all of us step up and, and speak to our politicians through emails, through calls, in person, about the value of these programs, I mean, this is the first year of this particular program, correct? Yes. And I suspect that if we all get actively behind it and we let them know, we'll see some politicians here next year. Mm. They'll realize the value of this. That's all. That was Vijay Gupta with a presentation, and he was the keynote speaker in Belfast last weekend at the Arts in Action Conference, and that was followed by some of the question and answers and uh, comments from attendees that followed. The event was sponsored by the Belfast Creative Coalition and Restorative Artworks. Gupta is the founder of Street Symphony, based in Los Angeles. The conference was held over three days and included sessions that explored possible next steps that could be taken here in this area. Matt Murphy recorded the event. I'm Amy Brown. Thanks for listening, and be sure to join me on the first Thursday of next month at 10 o'clock for more Maine Currents, independent local news, views, and culture. Meanwhile, please go to your phone and call 469-6600. That's in the area code 207-469-6600. Make a pledge. All new members who join us during this pledge drive will have their pledges matched dollar for dollar thanks to a generous donor so please call now 469-6600 or weru.org and then settle in for some great music because mark dyer is here to bring you on the wing being very patient because we're running a little bit late so we'll go over to mark now here on community radio weru fm 89.9 blue hill and streaming online at weru.org 469-6600 thank you